0: This is a podcast by The Straits Times.
1: Let's take stock of events so far. The Straits Times' Associate Editor, Ravi Vellur, joins us now. Ravi, as an expert commentator on macroeconomics and geopolitics, what are the key takeaways for you?
0: Key takeaways from this conflict will have to start with uh, the tremendous resilience that the Ukrainians have shown uh, in in taking on this uh, very formidable and very powerful Uh, military force, that is, the Russian army. Uh, The second takeaway would be the rather surprising, uh, 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 you know, the the evidence that, uh, you know, of uh, poor Russian planning and uh, logistics uh, uh, operations. Uh, But at the same time, uh, uh, you know, I mean, you have to be surprised uh, at the uh, Russian willingness to take casualties uh, in this conflict it's enormous. I mean the very fact that they admitted taking 500 people uh, losing 500 uh, uh, lives and uh, about 15 1600 uh, people wounded in the first five days of the conflict uh, sort of uh, tells me their resolve to go through it. If you look back at what happened in Afghanistan, you know in 10 years of uh, fighting, I think they lost about 13,000 troops. but here we are talking about losing 500 lives in five days. So I think it's a big takeaway, the fact that even the Russians admitted it uh, is uh, is a surprise. You have to take that into account. But uh, I also do think that the Russians are holding back uh, quite a bit. Uh, I have not uh, seen the full scale of the weapons available to them uh, being deployed in this conflict. Uh, And I suspect that uh, if this drags on, they might start using these weapons. And then you'll see the casualty count going up tremendously. Uh, it is fairly clear to me that uh, the Russians are not going to stop until they have control of territory up and down the spine of Ukraine, in a way, uh, which to me is uh, the Dimipro River. If you look at the map of uh, uh, Ukraine, and, uh, you know, the capital, Kiev, uh, sits on the Dimipro River. I think the idea is to push towards the Dimipro and control it down the spine, and then that gives them the strategic comfort for the future and for negotiations. Uh, and of course, you know, I mean, the refugee crisis has started in Europe. Uh, you know, up two million people, uh, you know, flowing out of Ukraine. I mean, they have to be housed. They have to be sheltered. It's a huge crisis uh, uh, in the hands of, uh, uh, of 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 the Europeans. But uh, the, the, there's another big lesson that I think we have to take note of, and that is how easily uh, Mr. Putin proved to be a dupe. Uh, why do I call him a dupe? Because I think he was baited into this conflict uh, by the Americans, particularly uh, by threatening all sorts of sanctions and saying he's going to attack now, he's going to attack on this day, that day, and all that. And it, 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 he was put in a situation where it did look very weak if he had not moved in and that he caved in. And clearly he was not a man who was going to do that, but he took the bait and I think it's proving very costly for him. <laughs>
1: Okay, you wrote in your column yesterday about how India is looking to France to replace Russia and concluded with the old adage that in international relations, only interests are permanent, not friendships. So who do you think will benefit the most from this war in Ukraine?
0: I think there are two issues here. I mean, there's of course the Indian issue, and I think uh, you're referring to the uh, relationship with China, I mean, with the Russians, which we uh, discussed uh, uh, in, 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 in our last uh, episode on this uh, channel. But, uh, you know, if you want to talk about who's going to benefit the most from this war, I think you have to start by saying that uh, the Americans are uh, in a very good position at this, po- uh, at, at this point of time. Uh, they have achieved so much uh, without firing a bullet, without losing a single life. And Putin has played right into American hands. You know the Americans have managed to get Europe united, like they were never before. Uh, The Germans have agreed to rearm, a substantial increase in uh, their defence spending, which they announced. And uh, you know the icing of the cake for the Americans is that the first thing they announced is that they're going to buy the F-35. So it's not a surprise that if you care to look at the shares of uh, American uh, defence companies, I mean they like to call them defence contractors, but they actually defence companies, uh, military sales. uh, Their shares are booming. I mean, In the last month, I think some of these companies, their shares have risen almost a fifth. Uh, So clearly, the war industry is going to uh, boom, not just in America, but also in Europe. But uh, there's another issue here, I think, uh, uh, which uh, we need to take off, and I don't see many commentators taking note of it. And it is that Russian Energy exports are going to be a huge issue. Uh, I don't know if you're aware that uh, Russia controls fully a quarter of global gas reserves. And in the list of nations with oil reserves, they rank sixth. Uh, Now, if they get into sanctions, they're not able to use these uh, energy exports. They had plans to uh, quadruple uh, oil uh, production, for instance. And that was going to be the lever they had for their growth in the next 20 years. And, uh, you know, this is that 20-year window while fossil fuels are still in use around the world. And I suspect that uh, Mr. Putin uh, may have uh, cashed a big check uh, in that direction in the sense that he's going to lose a lot of oil revenue, gas revenue, which would have been critical uh, for his economy. Uh, And I think he is going to be denied that. And what's more, uh there's talk about the americans supplying uh gas to europe uh it it won't be done very easily it'll take maybe till the end of the year maybe next year they'll start doing it but uh, it comes at a time when uh, you know the us is a net energy exporter and it's uh i'm sure it will work very well for them ultimately
1: Let's talk about loss of a different kind. We are seeing numerous images of the casualties of the war. Hundreds of civilians have died and millions are displaced. Should Ukraine surrender or make peace to end the war?
0: Lynn, that's really a very difficult uh, question to uh, answer because I'll tell you why. You know, it is not for us to question Ukrainian aspirations to defend their country because that's what we do ourselves. And, you know, I mean, we like to believe that we will defend uh, this little country or you know, all our friends uh, would defend their countries uh, to the last person. Ukrainians are doing it, but the question is whether it is wise. Uh, we can have an assessment of it. Uh, I, I have a feeling at this point that uh, there is something in their calculus that they believe that uh, they might get outside support at some point. Uh, although at this point NATO has said that they are not going to interfere, uh, but I just hope that they are not being led up the garden path uh, in that belief, um, because uh, I think they do have a choice uh, of sitting down, I think, uh, uh, and talking to the Russians and uh, you know offering guarantees that could uh, possibly uh, you know uh, help con- come to a conclusion. But I think there are outside players also who should get involved. I think it is time for NATO. Uh, for the European Union, and for the Ukrainians uh, to try and get a meeting with uh, Mr. Putin. Uh, Because, uh, you know, if something like that doesn't happen, I don't see the Russians backing off uh, because they committed so much into this effort. And I fear that the war in Europe could widen if there's no solution soon.
1: Thank you very much for your insights, Ravi. Ravi Velour, Associate Editor and Asia Columnist of The Straits Times.